0: Following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Grab your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 10. Specifically be verse 26 through 33. So go ahead and turn there. I said in the morning service earlier, I I, I, I want to there's a few in here that are not always here. And then there's some that are not in here that are always here sometimes because they're serving us back there, our children. And I'll take a minute. To, if you're here and you are serving our children, thank you. Because it allows us to preach together and, and listen to one another, what the Word has to say, to speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and be set apart for this time. So I just want to quick say thank you for all those that have given sacrificially, to work with our children. I know it's not easy. And sometimes it's not fun. Sometimes it's really fun. But uh, sometimes it's not. And so I just want to say thank you. You are doing good works. And this is a blessing to the body. So thank you. Uh, Matthew 10. Before we get into it, uh, the current climate that we live in, in the United States of America, in the world stage, uh, even in our homes, we realize that there is much to fear. Um, There's legitimate reasons. There's fear that comes from physical harm. There's fear that comes from spiders. There's fear that comes from the dark. Um, Those were jokes, I know. Um, Fear from social pressures. Fear from loss. Fear that is emotionally based. Fear of failure. Fear of successes. Discomfort. Loneliness. All these different things that we feel and know and are sometimes we really just express themselves in fear towards those things whether we can even put our fingers on it or not. Some of you have gone through horrible things in the past that I don't even know about that maybe none of nobody in this room knows about and you're afraid to death that anything like that would either happen to you or a loved one or anyone else and that fear grips you and causes you to live a certain way If any of you are paying attention probably in junior high or high school and read The Prince by Machiavelli, you remember that he said it is better to rule by fear than by love. He said it's safer to be feared than to be loved as a king. Because he understood the power, the great motivating power of fear. This morning we aren't really dealing with with fear in some sort of generic way, like I'm just going to try to hit it all together. Rather, we're zoning it on one specific passage because Jesus is coming to his disciples and he is talking to them about fear. And it's not just fear of spiders or things that are around them or the current climate. They're just based in something rock solid because he's asking them to do something very specific. Our passage here needs a little bit of introduction because we can't just drop down into it. I realize that we've been in Galatians 5, then Galatians 6, and naturally we're going to Matthew 10. Um, that's where it falls into. So let me give you a little bit of a brief introduction so you understand how we're getting to Matthew 10, 26, and 33, because we don't want to drop in the middle of it and have no context at all. The book of Matthew is one of four accounts of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is an eyewitness account by Matthew, the tax collector, and there are no Christians as of yet. The book traces the preparation, the announcement and the birth of Jesus Christ in chapters one and two. And if you remember chapter one is a full out genealogy that's proclaiming one main thing, it's not just history. The point of the genealogy is to show that the the seed of Abraham from the line of the king of David has now come in the person of Jesus Christ. All this lending legitimacy to his claims eventually that he is the Christ. In chapters three and four we see John preparing the way for Jesus. He's preaching in the wilderness a message of repentance in this coming kingdom. We see him this a confirmation, if you remember this, the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove and the, the word of God coming out saying, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased with at his baptism. Again, another audible and visual cue that this is the son of God. This is the king. This is the long-awaited-for Messiah. By the end of chapter 4, we will see him calling some of the first disciples, um, and we'll see him preaching. He's preaching the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, that it is near. He preaches, he heals, and he does these miraculous things, all these different miracles. Jordan read from a little earlier, in chapters 5 through 7, he teaches something that really blows this whole Messiah thing wide open. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Then when we get to chapters 8 and 9, we see many more miraculous acts and clear signs that show us that Jesus really is the promised one. Again, that he is the king of the Jews, the one with legitimate and real authority. As people comment saying, who is this person? One with real authority. He's not like our teachers. Who is this man? And so we realize that he is the one that that the prophets foretold. As we continue on, we realize that there's also some things that aren't so glamorous. But following Jesus or obeying him or doing the things that he does um, will lead to hardship. Um, There is a cost to discipleship. There is a cost to following Jesus Christ. Um, In chapter 9, Matthew is called as to, to come along and follow this band of followers and listeners. But in chapter 10, we even get a little bit more intricate and a little bit more specific because it's not just like the Jesus crowd, because many are following him around at this time. So now we're coming a little closer. Once we get to chapter 10, right from the beginning, you're going to see that Jesus is calling a very specific small group of men to himself. We call them the Twelve, or the disciples, or the Twelve Disciples. In this, we are getting a glimpse into Jesus' teaching for his disciples what they're supposed to be like, how they're supposed to follow him, how they're supposed to react. And as we see him bring them together in chapter 10, he's doing something very specific. Again, at the beginning, he's bringing them, he lists them. So if you can't remember all your Sunday school memories and which of the 12 apostles, look here, this will help you. But as you go back in there, you'll see the Lord, after after this gets finished up, later on, we'll realize that verse 5 is going to do something different. Not just naming them, he's now going to send them out. So verse 5, he sends them out, he says that you're going to be sent out. 5 through 7, though, is instructions on being sent out and what that looks like. Now, they're being sent out, we get that, but why? What, to do what? Verse 7 tells us. So again, feel free to look at this while I'm going along, so we're just trying to get to 26 here so you can understand how to set this up. When you look at 5 through 15, 7 stands out. Proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you look a little bit further on in 24, and then in 32 and 33, and 37 through 40, you'll realize that these men are not just proclaiming a generic kingdom. They are proclaiming Jesus Christ. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Him we proclaim? Kind of like our mission statement of what we do at Cornerstone. We realize that that's what we want to all be about. Is the proclamation of Jesus Christ. That's not an accident. We are disciples. Now, we're not the twelve apostles. We're not saying that. But we get a little bit of a look into what it means to be a disciple. And therefore, church, this is for us. You can't ignore this and say, well, that was just for the twelve disciples. I don't have to listen. This is Jesus teaching to the twelve disciples and also for us. Because we are called to this same thing, discipleship. So, you can't ignore it. We must listen. As we go through this, we realize after 5 to 15, once we hit verse 16, Jesus is going to predict something. And truthfully, he's like revealing what's actually going to happen. Persecution will come for the disciples. They will be sheep in the midst of wolves. Verse 24 and 25 explain why this is even true. Why is there persecution coming? It's kind of like the duh statement. You're you're disciples of the one who was persecuted. And we know the end, what's going to happen, so far to the point that he will be hung on a cross. And then I love the little little end there. It says, uh, a little verse, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 25, is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? you should not be surprised at the fact that you will face persecution. It will happen. If you are a follower, you are going to face persecution. And so in verse 24 and 25, we realize that that's what's going to happen, and it makes sense that as we follow him, this will happen to us. In verses 26 through 33, our passage today, Jesus reminds his disciples in the midst of all this that's going on, that they need not be afraid, but rather should stand true to proclaiming Christ. And there are three reasons given. Today, that's what we're going to look at. So now I've brought you up to this passage. Let us read together verse 26 through 33. So remember, they're being sent out. He calls them. He is sending them out, giving them instructions, what they're to do, how they're to go and proclaim this message. He says, you will face persecution. You shouldn't be surprised by it because you're already a follower of me. And so, verse 26. So have no fear of them you are more valuable, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. God, we ask this morning that you would reveal the scriptures to us, showing us your heart and who you are, showing us who we are. And Lord, may we chase after you as a pearl of great price. May we value you higher than the things that are around us. May we value your word this morning that teaches us. May we have ears to hear and we be changed. God, would you use this word to change us? Would you use your people here in this room to go out from this place and proclaim Jesus Christ to the dying and lost world around them who need to know that Jesus saves? Would you help them to have courage because of who you are, not themselves. We love you and trust you in Jesus' name, amen. There's one point that I really want you to walk away with today. It is not difficult. It is three words. Do not fear. You can write it down. That's fine if you want to, but I think you can probably remember it. Do not fear. The way that Jesus has structured this argument and it's just this little paragraph here, we have three clear reasons why we ought not to fear. And then he's gonna wrap this whole thing up and explain it at the end as well. But what we wanna jump into is why ought we not to fear? Like we talked about before, there's several things in our world to be afraid of. If any of you follow the news at all, you probably have your own list of things that you're afraid of. This strand of influenza has been terrible. It's actually killing people. That's a little bit fearful. If you have a conspiracy theorist in the room, you probably know that we're gonna be overtaken by Russia pretty soon. Um, you know, and we need to be careful. Those guys are communists, comrade. So, I mean, this, this is, that's serious things that you could be afraid of. We're in jeopardy. Some of you know finances pretty well. You know there's a financial bubble that continues to possibly grow in the background here as we get lulled to sleep by a good economy. And uh, we'll probably experience eventually one day a worse recession than anything we've seen before. Those are things to be fearful of. Uh, we understand that. That causes fear. Your 401k, worth pennies on the dollars that you have saved. Your house, the value plummets. We know Social Security is going to be completely gone. There are many things that we have good reason to fear for. And like I said before, those are sometimes silly, but I don't even know what each of you have gone through in your families, in your social lives, your past. I have no idea. Some I do. And I know the deep hurt that sets inside of you because you've experienced terrible loss, family loss, physical loss, emotional loss. These are all real things. And you never, you, know, you never want that again. And you'll almost do anything to keep that hurt away and that constant fear that I don't, I don't want that in my life. And this is just kind of a, a sampling of what it means to like be American in the world today, in our modern era. Uh, this isn't even reminding you that there's even more things to be concerned about if you're actually a Christian. Because not only are we concerned about all these things, we also know, as Jesus reminds the disciples, that there will be persecution. Our ideology is completely different than the rest of the world. If you don't know this, I'll say it very clearly, Jesus is exclusive. It is only by him. And that is not something that many people like to hear. We like toleration and we like inclusion. We want to all be together and like, hey, you know, just have faith. That's good. No, it's not. If there's no reference, not Jesus is the one that you are trusting. There's nothing else. And it will lead you away from him. And so when we are called and we realize that, this very clear message that we are saying to the world, there will be some sort of Persecution. He described his followers, if you remember this, as sheep in the midst of wolves in verse 16. He said that they would be delivered of the courts. They would be flogged for his sake. He says they will be hated for, by all for my name's sake. Now, we can all agree that probably none of us are under a lot of physical persecution in our lives, um, the, 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 the church in the United States of America really isn't currently doing anything that's causing great physical persecution to us, although we know around the world that is happening. At the same time, that is not to make little of the persecution that you do experience. I'm not here to shame you to say, well, you're not losing your head, so get, get tough. You do experience some sort of persecution. I know that, because I work every day. I work the, in, in the world, I know exactly what it's like. As our ideology comes up against other ideologies, and it's not, like I said before, not just one of many, the exclusive one that says, Jesus made this world, you need him. And what you're saying right now is not right. As we present the truth and love to the world around us, there will be persecution. You will be hated for my name's sake. And also, just one more thing, you and I know the fear and uncertainty that comes from trusting in someone who is not seen you and I have not walked with Jesus along the road as he called the disciples you and I have not seen him touch people's eyes and make them be able to see again we have not sat there and listened to his sermons we didn't get to watch him walk on water and so what we actually experience is something very different we experience him through his word and through his spirits work in our life and so it's very different. And there's this uncertainty and sometimes even a fear that we, since we can't see it and touch it and feel it, that I'm not quite sure if it's real. And I, like, I have a little uncertainty about that. He knows these things. We know him because of his word and because of his unseen Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We then are called to live as disciples of one who is not seen Yet nor has he not been deceived in the past. We know that he has been seen, but by us. And like Peter who walked on water with the Lord, our eyes can so easily be pulled away from what is, what is good and rather to the wind and the storms and the struggles and the things that are around us. Our fears can conquer us and control us and cause us to sink in the raging storm of life. Today, our text addresses these issues all the way from fear that is very simply maybe like more generic to the very real fear that you will experience persecution. He's going to give us, like I said, three reasons why you ought not to fear. Number one is that the truth will be revealed. Number two is that God has power over your body and your soul. Number three is that you are of great value to God. I'm not making these things up. The first one's in 26 and 27, the second one's in verse 28, and the third one's in 29 and 31 through 31. So we're gonna walk through these just so you can see us. All this hinges back again to belonging to the Savior. This is not good news for you if you do not trust him this morning. This is not. This is good news for those who are his disciples and trust him alone. Let's start looking here in verse 26 and 27. So if you have your Bible, let's look at 26 and 27. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Uh, At first glance, it's kind of a little bit strange. Uh, We almost, you know, look and say, was Jesus being quiet about this for a certain time? And then, like, he just wants the disciples to put their neck out and them to get in trouble? Well, then if you think that through a little bit more, we remember why he was put on the cross why he was whipped and beaten. He was not afraid to speak the truth. That's not the issue here. So what are we talking about if that's not true? If that's not it, then I, I think that we need to make sure we understand that there are two parts to this. What does this mean that the covered or the hidden things will be revealed? The first one is pretty simple. Uh, there, are, there are many truths, even in this day, that the Jewish leaders did not want the people to know about their treatment of Jesus and the truth the secret plots of the Jewish hierarchy against Jesus, remember this, the hidden agendas and motives of the Pharisees, the payment of 30 pieces of silver for the betrayal of the Christ, all this would be revealed. They could be sure that the truth could not ultimately be suppressed. Rather, it would come to light. There is great freedom in knowing that, because the lies and the scandal and the evil that hold a, a, a system together sometimes, if that's all not true, all the power just gets sapped out of it. And one day, those things will come to light and the truth will be shown that all those things were not right. They were not done according to the right ways that things are supposed to be done. Rather, they were maligning Jesus Christ, his disciples, and just using all types of different trickery, uh, all kinds of different things to to come against Christ and to pull him down. But the second thing is I think what's far more important. So that's the first thing. All those things will come to light. The second thing though here that I think again we need to to hone in on is that I believe the truth of the gospel of Christ is what would be revealed to all men. Look at like the next verse. In verse 27, we kind of learned what Jesus is talking to his disciples about. He is saying from the beginning, he's sending them out to do what? To proclaim Jesus Christ, or this coming kingdom. And so, this coming kingdom where the gospel of Jesus Christ would be proclaimed, we saw that back in verse 7 and verse 18, they're called to proclaim the gospel. Jesus has spent time teaching, both in private and then in monks' crowds um, and the followers. He's done through, so, through sermons, through life lessons, through the way he teaches and the way he responds after he even does these small miracles. But one day we know Excuse me, they are being tasked with something that's much larger. They are being tasked now to go out and proclaim it to the lost sheep of Israel, to the house of, excuse me, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And we know, as you look at the end of Matthew, that it's eventually going to the utter ends of the earth. And so, those things which are almost like in secret, or are, are quieted, or this is being done here, and we teach it, I want you to go out and tell it to the world, Jesus says. And once that truth is out there, Over and over and over again, it starts to come to light that there's nothing to fear because the ultimate reality is not what the world is showing us is real. The world is not telling us the truth. Jesus Christ is the only one that has told them the truth and that the gospel is the the good news of Jesus Christ for the world's sake. And so the gospel will be known, it will be proclaimed, and so the truth then, you've heard this before, will set you free. That truth of the gospel is what will set them free. And so, there's nothing for them to fear. So Jesus says the first thing, do not fear because the truth will be revealed. It may not be revealed right away, but it will be revealed. The second thing, look at verse 28. God has the power over your body and your soul. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The logic is pretty clear here. Those that are around us may have some sort of control over us uh, that they can do here on earth, whether that's physical control, whether that's financial control make you lose your job, whether that's some sort of ridicule making you feel a certain way. They have some measure of control. But now he's bringing this argument up a little bit more and saying, but they can kill the body, but don't be afraid of them because they cannot do a thing to your soul. And rather, we know the rest of that that thought process, there's only one who can do that. That's God, and we know him. God, the one who created all men and sustains all men, has the power to do what, what he wills with us. He alone holds the power to create, to sustain, to judge, to sentence and ordain men to their ultimate end. He is in charge of that, not those that are around us. By, way, by the way, <laughs> this should lead anyone to say that he is the one to be feared. We want not talk about fear at all. The only one that we should actually fear is God alone. Yeah, Satan is powerful. God-given. We should respect that. We get that. He is not to be feared. He cannot do anything outside of God's control. And there is nothing outside of God's control. It is all in God. And so the only fear that should be directed to anyone from us is to God. The only person we should fear. And so those around us, perhaps even the agents of this evil one, Satan, there's no reason for us to fear them. It is folly for those who have no power to do anything about your ultimate end. It's folly for us to fear those types of people. They have no power. Creatures, creator. Who's more powerful to do anything about your life and your end game? Creatures can't do a thing about it. We are nothing but creation. By the way, you can't do anything specifically about your end either. Only the creator can do that. Only the one who has ultimate power. Only the one who should increase and we should decrease because we realize the actuality of the situation. That he is God and we are just men. in his image... I'm not not putting that down. But we are men, and he is God alone. And so there should be no fear of man that's legitimate. The third reason, then, we should not fear is found in verse 29 through 31. Look at 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. After coming off this second reason concerning the destruction of the body and soul, like it's a very high level and very ultimate type argument, it it sometimes feels as though we're tempted to think that our interaction with God should be more of like a distant one. Like, well, I know God and one day he will rectify the situation and and he's the one that has power over my soul, not just my body. So he takes care of the big things. I kind of, worry about the little things and work this out. But there's more to it than that because Jesus brings something up that's seemingly insignificant. Little birds, sparrows. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? Many years ago, um, before I had children, I set sail in the treacherous waters of the Rudy Inlet My fellow sailors, Isaac Tolliver and Caleb Kostin, and a little Boston whaler, we were going fishing. We were going for spot and croaker. It's like late August or early September. I can't quite remember. Um, we fished for about three hours. And to this day, that was one of my favorite f- fishing experiences that I've ever had. Although, you spot or croaker, maybe 10, maybe 12 inches, you get a big one. We caught, in three hours, over 130 fish. That is not a fish story, I promise you. You can verify from Caleb or from Isaac. It was an incredible day. I mean, there was one point, I can remember, because we weren't using the casting nets either. We were using rod and reel with a a 2 prong rig, uh, rig on it. And the three of us were out there. And there were times where... Isaac would say, hey, take these fish off. So I'm, I'm working to take my fi- this fish off for of him. He's casting it back out, and Caleb's got like two bouncing off my shoulder. So I'm working on these ones next. He's like, hey, get those off. i get these back in the water. So I'm doing this, and my pole's over here going, Ring, you know, and like, so all three of us, and then all of a sudden, Isaac's back. It was a time that I, it was super fun. We were just constantly catching fish. Um, and in that experience, you know, I consider that story, and I never thought about the three, four, or five fish that when I'm working, I'm getting them off the hook. Oh, they slipped out of my hands back in the Rudy Inlet. Oh, that's all right. Um, I got three or four or five or ten more over here that I got to keep working on, and I never considered them. They're really kind of insignificant to me. Even when I'm working on filleting these fish out, these little guys getting all these beautiful little fish sticks out of them, um, you know, some would fall on the ground. I was like, keep these ones clean. Okay, that almost didn't even matter. Almost insignificant to me. They just didn't matter. But if I can borrow that story for a minute... To illustrate the point of verses twenty-nine through thirty-one, not one of those fresh little fish fell to the ground or back in the ocean apart from my father. Now, that's a silly story, right? We all can agree that's what are you trying to say? Well it's almost that silly that Jesus would talk about these two little sparrows that you'd buy for a penny. These sparrows were something that people would eat. They were small. They were, uh, they were just very, almost inconsequential, but they were a small price, but it didn't matter necessarily. If someone lost one, ah, it's okay. That being said, he says, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. He doesn't say father's knowledge or father's will. He just keeps it open there to say father. The important pieces here God not only knows, but is somehow involved in this entire process of an insignificant sparrow falling to the ground. Verse 30, But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. You thought sparrows, that's small. Why don't we go down to the minute level of how many hairs are on your head? Or not on your head for some of you. The point is, he knows of all of them. And not just one person, he knows all of his creation, understanding what that means. And he cares and understands all those things and intricacies and can number them all. For you numbers people, I think that would be a very boring spreadsheet trying to keep track of that. But God knows every single one, even to the insignificance of a hair. There's no way he could keep track of that, but he does. Um, And yet Jesus points out that God knows his creation so intimately that he knows the number of hairs on his disciples' heads. If you need to be convinced of this truth, just remember the other sections of Scripture that make it very clear that he knows and understands and cares for you. Psalm 103, 13 through 14 is a favorite. The psalmist writes, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him, because why? Because he cares for you. God is intimately involved in his creation. If he is involved in the sparrows falling to the ground and the number of hairs on our heads and the number of fish that made it into my five-gallon bucket or fell into Rudy Inlet, he most certainly cares for you. And he cares about what happened to you this morning, about last night, about the things that you're thinking about now, and he knows and he cares deeply about you. Don't think that he is so far gone, so transcendent that he only cares about your ultimate end. He cares and knows the number of the hairs on your head. And so, do not fear. You are of great value. Because the last thing in verse 31 says, fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. In a world of problems and sin, the enemies that you have, (laughs) you, you know, and enemies you have nothing in and of yourself that is worth trusting in. You and I have nothing that we have worth worth trusting in. And certainly you have nothing in and of yourself that you should cause that should cause you not to fear. You're just one of those who have control maybe over your own body. The only source of your courage today as a believer is not a state of mind. It is not found in yourself. It is found in a person. One person, that person Jesus Christ and we begin to circle back then to see the whole purpose that's found here. Why were the disciples sent out? Him we proclaim. So proclaim the kingdom of heaven that Jesus Christ was lord of the kingdom and that kingdom was very near. The three reasons that Jesus has given us to us here are great if you are truly his disciple. Look at these last verses together. Verse 32, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I, will all, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. These verses for a saint, all I mean by that is someone who is a believer and trusts Jesus Christ for their entire life, are encouraging, knowing that as we react this way and proclaim Christ to others, acknowledge him before men, he will also acknowledge us to his Father. We need Jesus to get in. In case you didn't know that, we can't come to the Father and do anything. Jesus Christ is our key to knowing the Father and to be getting into his heaven at all. And so it is imperative that he acknowledges us. That only happens when we are trusting him and understand him to be the Savior. And therefore we live our lives out in a way that proclaims truth to the world that's around us. The converse is true, though. If you're not a disciple of Christ, you do not acknowledge him, or worse, if you're a poser, if you sit here today as one that everyone else thinks might be a Christian, I realize it's uncomfortable, but it's really important. He will not acknowledge you. That is dead serious. And so today, if that is you, repent. Repent and come to a loving God who has made a way for an imperfect creation to know a perfect creator. It's through his son, Jesus Christ. Praise God for Jesus Christ and what he has done so that we might know the Father. So it is a warning to you because, not because I like to preach fire and brimstone, but because we love you and we are called to proclaim and so repent and turn to Jesus Christ, who is the only salvation that we have. But for the rest of us who Do trust him. We are called to this task to proclaim Christ to the world that's around us. That's in word, that's in deed. As I finish up, I want to read one thing and I'll be done to you. I want you to just listen and maybe look at this later on. This is Psalm 139. Remembering that he cares about you deeply and all the things that you will struggle with and all the fears that you will have Psalm 139 reminds us that he cares deeply for us. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Let's pray. God, we recognize that we cannot save ourselves. God, we recognize as saved people, as those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we are disciples of yours and that we are called to proclaim the truth of the gospel, I pray that we would do so with courage, not because it's in us and we can do it and we're all band together and do this thing, but rather these reasons you've told us. The truth will be revealed. It is the truth that you have power over the body and the soul and that you care for us so deeply. We relish in the fact, God, that you care for us. Otherwise, we would be turned to dust. We thank you for your great love and praise your name in Jesus' name.